Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus. We honor you. We glorify you this evening. We thank you, Jesus, that when you died upon the cross, you bore upon your own self all of our sins and you carried our diseases and you have declared in your word that uh, we have been made righteous and that our sins are forgiven and that we have been healed by your stripes and that we are blessed with every blessing in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all your wonderful promises in your word. And we thank you, Father, that as we open our hearts to your word, we ask you to impart faith into our hearts, Lord, through your holy word that we may receive that which is ours tonight. Let each one of us receive our portion. Father, meet the needs of those who are here in the name of Jesus. And we ask you that through all these things you will be glorified, both in our lives and through us, Father, in the days to come, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Well, God is a good God. And the Bible says, with God, nothing is impossible, and all things are possible for him that believe. Amen. And, you know, I'm thinking of Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, well, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there's, there's several things here. The first thing is that faith pleases God. You know, faith pleases God. In fact... We cannot please, actually the word please uh, in the Greek means to touch God or to reach God. There's only, thing, only one thing through which we can touch God, and that is faith. Faith enables us to touch God. And without faith, we cannot reach God. We cannot touch God. And then it tells us what it means, this faith, through which we touch God. For that he who comes to God must believe that he is. Not that he was or he shall be, but that God is. And that means that God, when he is, he occupies the same space and time as we do. In other words, he is here in this room, and he's here in this room right now. That, that is what faith says. Faith doesn't say, well, he's in heaven on the throne now. He is that also. But faith says that he is, that means he's occupying the same space and the same time in which we are right now. And so without, uh, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That means that if I seek him with all my heart, he is going to reward me. That God is always going to respond to one who you know, who seeks his face. Amen. He will never walk by you and ignore you. He will never do that. He will always respond to faith. God always responds to faith. Amen. Now, when God responds to faith, uh, I just want to, you know, uh, clarify this. When, when, when God touches you, you know, the thing is that when people ask for prayer, they actually want God to touch them. But sometimes their focus is in the wrong thing. Often when people come, the foremost thing in their mind is, shall I fall or shall I not fall? 
Because if I don't fall, the preacher is going to push me and he's going to say, receive, brother, receive, receive, receive. As if, if you're vertical, you're not receiving and being horizontal is a sign that you have received. Now, now I, I just want to dispel this because this kind of thing is not found in the Bible. Uh, now, I do believe that people fall under the power. But if you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, you know, do you know that out of the, uh, you know, the four Gospels contain about 3,500 verses. Out of those, more than 700 verses, that means uh, you do the maths, that's uh, 20% 20, uh, 20 of the total number of verses in the four Gospels show Jesus healing the sick or casting out devils. Which, which means that Jesus spent more time in healing the sick and casting out devils than in any other single activity. He preached, he taught, he prayed, he, he did a lot of different things. But if you look at the time he spent in those activities, he spent more time healing the sick and casting out devils than in any other activities. That's why 20% of all the verses in the four Gospels show us in these, show him in these situations, right? Now, that being said, there's not one place where it says that people fell when Jesus prayed for them. There are actually two places where it says when people fell. One was that when, they, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and the glory of God came down, and the glory was so strong that it bleached his clothes. Can you imagine when the glory is so strong? Jesus went up wearing dark clothes, and he came down wearing a Benny Hinn suit, you know? So, I mean, that was, that's powerful. That's powerful. Right? He got, I mean, his clothes were bleached. Now, when that happened, it says that, the, that Peter, James, and John fell down. Right? They fell down like dead men. The other place where it says they fell was uh, when they came to arrest him. Uh, you know, and the soldier and, 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 and said, uh, who do you seek? And the soldier said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they fell down. Other than that, there's no place where it says that, you know, that people, every time he touched them, people fell. It doesn't say that. Now, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Let us assume that people fell every single time when Jesus ministered to them. Even if it did happen, it is such a marginal issue that the Bible even doesn't mention it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it doesn't even mention it. It, it, it. We can assume that it happened every single time, but it's such a marginal issue that the Bible doesn't even tell us that it happened. So I don't want you to take something that the Bible says little or almost nothing about and take that and move that to the center of the arena and make that the criteria by which you judge whether you receive from God or not. Receiving from God is something that happens in the inside of man. So whether you're horizontal or vertical doesn't make any difference. The important thing is that what does God do in your heart? Amen? Because healing or miracles actually are first something that happens inside you and it works itself out from you. That because it's all by faith and faith is of the heart. 
it, it actually touches your spirit and from there it works itself out of your body. That's why, you know, in, in 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may be in good health and that you may prosper even as your soul prospers. So whatever happens in your soul, in the, I'm here, the soul isn't just the soul, but it's the entire inner man. Whatever happens in your inner man comes out and it'll ultimately manifest itself. You with me? So remember the first thing that, uh, that when you are ministered to, God is doing something inside you. He's doing something great. And the Holy Spirit is always at work because Jesus is still the same. That's the first thing I want you to remember. Secondly, uh, nobody's going to push you or assume that because you're standing, nothing happened. No, no, no. If you fall, great. If you don't fall, just don't do anything in the flesh. That, that's the thing. Because when you, the more room you give to the flesh, the less room you give to the Spirit. Amen? So be, be in, the, in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, the next thing is that when God touches you, there are people who are healed instantly. Then there's people who just feel maybe a slight difference, a slight improvement, or, or some people feel nothing at all. They just feel that God has touched me, but nothing has happened on the outward. Now, don't let that bother you. Why does it happen that way? Why is it that sometimes God heals people instantly and other people are healed you know, progressively? Why? I know the answer. It's three words. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. The Bible doesn't tell us why. And there's nothing wrong with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they, you know, there's something like, like Jesus prayed for a blind man and Jesus said, can you see? And he said, yeah, I see people, but they look like trees, you know. They look fuzzy. And he prayed for them again. And this time they saw clearly. He had to pray for it twice. Then you remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Right? In Mark chapter 11. What did he do? He spoke to the fig tree. And when he, he spoke to it, after he had finished speaking to it, it looked exactly as it did uh, before he had cursed it. But that didn't faze him. He didn't say, well, maybe I should shout at it uh, louder and give it a good shake, you know. He, he didn't. He just said, no one is going to eat fruit from you henceforth and forever and walked away. Do you know why he walked away? Because he believed more in the power of his word rather than what he saw. So he spoke and then 24 hours later, you know, he went to Jerusalem and cleaned up the temple. And 24 hours later when he was coming back, that's when they saw the fig tree withered away. And then Peter began to shout and he said, oh, hallelujah, look, Jesus, the tree you cursed is dead. You know, because now why was Peter excited then and not when Jesus had spoken the word? Because Peter's faith depended upon what he could see. Peter had to see something for him to get excited. And that's why Jesus said to, people, to Peter, have the faith of God. And that's the difference between the faith of man and the faith of God. The faith of man is that man has to see something to believe it. The faith of God is when God speaks the word and he puts his faith in the word that is spoken rather than what he can see. Do you, do, you, do you see the difference? Peter was responding with his human faith. He didn't get excited when Jesus spoke to the tree. He got excited after the tree was visibly dead. 
But Jesus, he just spoke to the tree and walked away. And for him, it was a done deal. As soon as the word of God, because you, you have to understand the words of Jesus. The Bible says that by his word, he created all things. Hebrews tells us that there's nothing made that was not made by him. He created all things. Then it says he sustains all things by, by the word of his power. And then the, the Bible says, where the word of a king is, there is power. That means when the words, when, when words go out of the mouth of a monarch or a king, those words carry weight. John 6, 63, Jesus said, for my words, they are spirit and they are life. So, you know, the, there is, we have to understand and believe that there is power in the word of God. That is so important. You know, we read the Bible, but we, even more than that, when we read the Bible, we have to believe that these, this is the word of God that I'm reading. And when I read it, when I speak it, it is able to impart life. It is able to impart faith. Amen. Not, you know, the word plus faith in the word. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's why when the word went out of the mouth of Jesus, he knew it was done. When Peter said, when Peter was in the boat and he saw Jesus and, uh, you know, everyone got frightened because Jesus was walking in the water and then, uh, uh, and, and then uh, and this Jesus said, don't worry, it's me. And then what did Peter do? You know, he was always impulsive. He said, Lord, if it is you, call me. Speak your word. Because Peter knew that he could not walk on the water, but he knew the power of the words of Jesus. That's why he says, Jesus, if you just speak the word, put a word out there, there is so much power in your word that I will step out on your word and I will walk on the water. And what did Jesus say? He used a very common everyday word, a word that consists of four letters. He said, come. And we use it all the time. Come here. Go. Come. But when Jesus says, come, all the powers of heaven are behind that word. And Peter said, he said, come, I'm going. And he stepped on C, he stepped on O, he stepped on M, and he stepped on E. And everyone said, look at Peter, he's walking on the water. But then Peter, sometime down the road, he kind of stepped between the C and the O. And, and, and that's when he began to sink, you know. Right? But... As long as he stepped on the word, it was okay. That is the power of the words of Jesus. So first you have to understand that whenever you are in church and the word is preached, there is power in that word. Secondly, every time you read your Bible and you speak the word of God, we, you know, that's why you have to make a habit of reading the word in your personal life every day, listening to sermons is not enough. Going to conferences is not enough. You must develop a life of personal study of the Word of God. And thirdly, you have to learn to speak the Word of God. When you wake up in the morning, just thank God, thank you Jesus that you bore all my sins, you carried all my diseases, and with your stripes I'm healed. Thank you Jesus that there is no poverty in my life because I'm blessed and I prosper. And thank you Jesus that you have blessed me with every blessing in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Thank you Jesus that there's no condemnation on me because I'm in Christ Jesus. You know, you have to learn 
learn to incorporate the word of God in your everyday speech. And so when you do that, what will happen is that God, through his word, will do miracles in your life. Without being in a service, without being in a prayer line, without anyone laying hands of you, on you, just the fact that you're speaking the word of God, that you are studying the word of God, you will see the results of it will, will result in, in, in health, it will result in a better life, it will result in having greater faith, you will have uh, financial breakthroughs, you will have, you know, you will have blessings in every area of your life if you, if you live a life that is built on and around the Word of God. Are you with me? So, I'm come, what I'm, what I, I don't know how I even got here, but my, my point is that some people are instantly healed, and other people, they are not instantly healed. And I said, I don't know why, but, you know, Jesus said to the ten lepers, he says, he prayed for them. Obviously, nothing happened visibly. He said, go to the priest and show yourself. And the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Now, I'll never forget, I was in a place called uh, Gorzo Wielkopolska in Poland, has, has funny names, so many consonants and few vowels, you know. So this place was known as Gorzo Wielkopolski. And so I was, doing a, I was doing a meeting in a Catholic church, and, and we, we had several people, you know, who were paralyzed, get, uh, get out of wheelchairs. But there was this one kid, he was about 18 years old, he, just, he was a paraplegic, just sat on his wheelchair, and his parents said, Pastor, uh, we came from so far, so what do we do? So, uh, you know, one thing about those Catholic people, they, they really respect. If you're a reverend, they really respect you, and everything, that word that comes out of your mouth is holy for them. And I knew that. So I said, you know what you do? I said, every morning when you wake up, just thank the Lord and say, well, I thank you, Jesus, that with the stripes of Jesus, our son is healed. And they say, is that all? I said, that's all you do. Just speak the word of God. And they did that. They started doing that. A year later, I was back in the city of Poznan, which is, I think, about 100, 150 kilometers away. And they came to that meeting. And they said, Pastor, we did what you told us, and our son is healed. They said, as we did that, slowly God began to heal one arm. And then God began to heal the other arm. And then one leg was healed. He said, now he's, he's completely healed, and one leg they said 99% healed. Now, I don't know what they mean, what they meant, but they said that he's up and he's walking and he's normal. So, what I'm saying is that all they did was to do what I asked them to do unquestioningly. And all they did was to speak the Word of God over that boy every single day. Now, it took a whole year. I don't know why it took a whole year. But at the end of the year, he was okay. And really, that's the, that's the thing that really counts, the fact that the boy was healed. Yeah. Amen? We don't understand these things. But the Bible says, Jesus said that the kingdom of, uh, of God is like a man so seasoned to, seed into the ground. And then first the little thing that comes out, then the stalk, and then the, then, then the full corn in the ear. You know, there's steps, and it takes time. And praise God, even if it does that, just the important thing is that you just thank God and praise Him every day and, and, and see how God does 
his work in you. And I've seen that over the years, many, 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 many times. So many people have been healed this way. And uh, uh, sometimes this overnight, you know, sometimes when they're on their way home, they discover they're okay. Sometimes they wake up the next morning and they're okay. But the worst thing you can do is abort the baby. And that means, oh, I guess God didn't do anything to me. Many people have great faith for 30 seconds. <laughs> After 30 seconds, <laughs> you can't do that. You stand, your faith is on the Word of God. Your faith is on the finished work of Jesus at Calvary. And that the Word of God is eternal and it still stands. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, I don't know why I went into all that, but that was for free. So, let's... Let's go to the Word of God. Are you with me? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So I want to talk to you tonight about the, about the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, I'm sure you have had teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church, right? Hmm? Not taught it for a while. Okay, I'll give you a bit of a refresher. It's a long subject, but I, um, I, will, I will touch on, you know touch on the basics a little bit. Now, the Bible tells us that there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we get that from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, it says uh, in verse 1, now, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, this is the Apostle Paul telling the church in Corinth about spiritual gifts. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then... Um, and go forth, and uh, let's go to save time. Uh, okay, let's go to verse 7. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. That means that uh, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are actually manifestations of the Holy Spirit, right? And they're given to every man for our profit, for our gain. And then it lists the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, and it says here, for... To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to, an, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that the one and self same Spirit dividing to several men, every man severally as he will. So. Uh, in, in other words, there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they're all given by God. Now, to give you a background, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is manifested in us to two things, uh, to, through two branches. One, you can say, we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the other is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are imparted. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are developed from within, right? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are imparted, but the fruits of the Holy Spirit are developed from inside. And there are nine gifts and there are nine fruits. Now, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or you want to use the plural, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit are the manifestations of the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. The nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are the manifestation of the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. 
and we need both. We should never make the mistake of playing them up against each other. Like some people say, you know, power is not important. Character is important. That is nonsense. Because the last verse of the 12th chapter, it says that we should covet earnestly the best gifts. Actually, uses the word covet. Normally, covetousness is a bad word. But here in this case, it tells us we should covet earnestly the best gifts, okay? So don't say, oh, I'm not interested in the gifts. I'm just interested in character. That is, that is religious hogwash. We have a word in America, hogwash. I don't know if there's an Aussie equivalent, but it's, it's you know, it's hogwash. So, uh, uh, so we, should, we should, you know, if we want to be like Jesus, our highest desire in life should be to be like Jesus, and if we want to be like Jesus, we should seek both the gifts and the fruit because Jesus had both. He didn't say, oh, I just want the fruit, I don't want the gift. He had both. He was the perfect manifestation of the love and the character of God and the power of God, okay? So, now, then there's another significant difference is that the devil can imitate the gifts of the Holy Spirit to a certain point, but he can never imitate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, the Bible says there's things in the Scripture like faith works by love. That means that the best platform for the gifts to operate is actually on the platform of love, which is one of the primary fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Because a person who is strong in the gifts but does not have character is going to do a lot of damage. And a person who only has character but doesn't have the gift will be largely ineffective, at least when it comes to ministering to people. So we need both. But the platform on which you build is the fruits, the character of Christ. And that comes through a life of devotion, of worship and humility and service and seeking the face of God and, and seeking to be like Jesus in our lives. And on that platform, you build your, you know, your, your life in the power of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to remember these things. The, these are important things, okay? Now, when it come to the, comes to the fruits of uh, the gifts of the Spirit, you can categorize the gifts of the Holy Spirit in three categories. Uh, firstly is the utterance gifts. Those are gifts that say something. And those are speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, because they say something. Then you have the revelation gifts that reveal something, and that's the gift of discernment of spirits, the gift of the word of knowledge, and the gift of the word of wisdom. And they basically deal with being able to see things that you can't see in the natural. Okay, now, the, when it comes to gift of discernment of spirits, it, it, there's no such thing as the gift of discernment. You know, some people say, oh, there's a gift of discernment. I have the gift of discernment. It, when people say that, they normally mean they have the right to judge other people in the church. <laughs> you know, I have the gift of discernment, and that brother, mm -mm, I get the heebie-jeebies every time I'm around him. That, that, is, that is stupid. 
You know, you, you know that's, there's no such thing as the gift of discernment. Uh, but the gift of discernment to spirits, and the word discern, discernment means actually to be able to see in the spirit world. When you're in prayer and, and you see a vision and you see, you know, you see into the spirit world and you can see, uh, you know, demon spirits at work or you can see angels or whatever. Now that's the discernment of spirits. It, it has nothing to do with being suspicious of other people, you know, or judging people in the church. You know, you can't do, you have to be very, very careful that just because you don't like the way a guy parts his hair or you don't like, you know, her makeup and so you begin to, you know, develop prejudices against them and think that is of the Lord. That is not of the Lord, that is of the flesh. Are you with me? So, so you have the gifts of discernment of spirit and you have the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, you know. Now, then comes the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those are, those, are, those are the gifts that actually do something. Right? So you have gifts that say something. Tongues, interpretation of tongues. Now, interpretation of tongues isn't translation of tongues. It's the interpretation. Translation is if someone speaks a tongue in a... For, for example, I speak Swedish and Norwegian. So if someone, if an Aussie guy who doesn't speak Norwegian or Swedish gets up and, and speaks in Swedish and, 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 and nobody understands, but I understand and I just translate it and tell you what he just said. Now that's not an interpretation of tongue. That's a translation. An interpretation is when you get the interpretation of something by the Spirit of God. That's an interpretation, right? So you've got tongues and you've got interpretations and uh, interpretation of tongues uh, and then you've got prophecy. And sometimes a prophecy will come being carried on tongues and interpretation. Yes, a guy speaks in tongues, someone else interprets, and boom, that's a prophecy. And sometimes a prophecy can come by itself as it is. So, so you, have the, you, you have the verbal, the spoken gifts, you, you have the revelation gift, then you have the power gifts. Now the power gifts, I have written them down, and I will give you some examples of how, what they are, what, what they work, and that's really what I'm going to focus on. The first of the, is the gifts of healings. The second is the gift of working on miracles, and the third is the gift of faith. Now, the gifts of healings, if you notice, I said gifts of healings. That is the only, only gift in which both gifts and healings are in the plural. It's not the gift of healing, it is the gifts of healings. And uh, I never understood this until I was told by teacher more, you know, who know more than I, that because there are different kinds of diseases, there's different kinds of gifts. Gifts of healings, right? And then it says that God gives these gifts to, to, to everybody who seeks them. So everybody, I believe that every believer should have these gifts working in his life, right? Every believer should seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, 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 you know, and now the thing about the gifts of the Spirit is that once the gifts begin to move in your life, a gift of the Holy Spirit isn't something you carry around in your pocket and say, come here, brother, I'll give you a prophecy. Do you want a prophecy? Okay, I'll lay one on you right now. 
It doesn't work that way. It's actually an interaction between you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit stirs in you and you can give that word of prophecy because the Holy Spirit, because the gifts, they belong to Him. They're given, they're entrusted to us and we can get. But over time, as you flow in the gifts, you can develop an understanding and a kind, I don't want to use the word familiarity, but in a sense it's, you become familiar with the workings of the Holy Spirit, how, when He stirs in you and how He stirs in you. And after some time you can even begin to sense, uh-uh, I feel the Holy Spirit is stirring and, and something is coming up right now. And you yield yourself to that, open to that, and, but that sensitivity grows over time. The more you practice the presence of God, the more you practice flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the greater your sensitivity. Right? So it's something that gets better with time. And then when you flow in the gifts of the Spirit, you will always make mistakes. Now, the best way to remedy that is always be open to correction. Don't get offended if your pastor corrects you. Never get angry or offended. Oh, that was of God. You know, if your pastor says, brother, that was not of God, because sometimes people prophesy things that are not of the Holy Spirit, just out of their soul. You know, my son, happy birthday, says the Lord. You know, I've heard things like that. Or, 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 or my child, I love you all, says the Lord. You know, look, that's in the Bible. You know, people say things, and they don't mean ill. It's not the end of the world. It will not destroy your life if someone tells you, my child, I love you, says the Lord. But, but sometimes people do things that are damaging. You know, they, they can say things that are damaging. But the thing is that if you're always open to correction and, and don't be offended. And uh, what I did, what I do, I always tell my pastor. I told my pastor, I said, Pastor, if I ever do anything wrong, please tell me, correct me. I want to be corrected because that's the only way I learn. Amen. If you have an eagerness to flow in the Holy Spirit, just say, make it clear, I want to be corrected because I am always going to make mistakes and I make mistakes. I still make mistakes. Okay? So now, let's go back to the power gifts of the Holy Spirit. The power gifts of the Holy Spirit are, uh, firstly, is the gifts of healings. Now, there's different kinds of healings. Now, when it comes to the gifts of healings, you have to remember that uh, there are two different dimensions of healing. All of us should pray for the sick, even if we all don't have gifts of healings. When I pray for the sick, I don't pray for the sick because I have gifts of healings. I pray for the sick on the basis of the Word of God. Because even if the, it is not God's, how should they, if God doesn't release the gift at that moment, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you can't force the gift of healing to work, but you can always preach the word and stand on the word. So when I'm called to uh, go to someone's house and pray for them, I, I don't go say, you know what, I've had lots of experience with healing. I have the gift of healing, so uh, I, I will just lay hands on you and you'll be healed. It doesn't work that way. I always take my Bible with them. I always share the word of God with them because if they're going to get healed, it's not because I've had a lot of experience and I got a lot of miracles under my belt. And I know. No, it's always out of the word. You should always stand on the word and 
based out of that. Doesn't matter how many, how much experience you have had with miracles and how many people you have seen healed, you always come from the cross because you tell people that if, if you will get healed, it is only because Jesus Christ was whipped and beaten and bruised and crucified and the Bible says that with his stripes you are healed. So you always, that will always be your jumping off point when you pray for the sick. And you always have to teach people. And that's why I said it's important to study the Word of God because if you don't study the Word of God, you cannot teach people. You can only teach people the things that you have studied yourself. So if you want to have a ministry where you pray for the sick, whenever you are asked to go and pray for somebody, always share the Scripture with them because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And if they can hear the Word of God from your mouth, faith will come to them. They will believe God. And then you can lay your hands based on the Scripture saying that you shall lay your hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Are you with me? Now, so when we minister to the sick, we always do it from the basis of what the Bible says. Now, in that process, the gifts of healings can come in. Are you with me? God can send the gifts of the Holy Spirit to, how do you say, to supplement or to complement that. Now, one of the things about the gifts of the gifts of healing is that when you minister to someone through the gifts of healing, uh, you know, when you, how do you, let me put it this way, let me do it the other way, is that when you share the word of God with somebody and you pray for them, there is a, an expectation that they have to have faith to receive. People cannot be healed unless they have faith. But the only thing that can bridge over people's lack of faith is the gift of healing. Because when the gifts of healings are in operation, faith is not required of the person to be healed. Right? But the drawback with that, the gifts of healings can heal people who don't have faith. The only drawback with that is that they can also lose that healing. Because they are not taught faith. Because when a person is taught faith, he, he learns to stand. Like the other day, I was in, in Minnesota, and the lady came, and she said, Pastor, when you were here last year, God opened my deaf ear. But a few weeks later, it closed again, and she began to cry. So I prayed for her again, and the thing opened up again. So I said, this is what you do. Her husband asked me, what should we do? I said, when that thing begins to come back on you, you should learn to stand on your right and rebuke the devil and say, devil, leave me. I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. You cannot put this stuff anyway on me anymore. But that you can do only if you have been taught faith and you have been taught what your rights and privileges are in Christ. Right? That's the only drawback with people who are healed through, uh, you know, through the gifts of healings, that because faith is not required of them, often they don't know how to stand. So when someone is healed through the gifts, it is very important that we teach them. That there be a teaching moment, you know, in which we, uh, we, we minister to them and tell them what to do if the devil comes along. All right? So, so that's how the gifts of healings work. Now, the second... Uh, the second one is the gift of working on miracles. 
Then you have the gift of faith. Now, the main difference between the gift of working on miracles and the gift of faith is that the gift of working on miracles is active. The gift of working on miracles performs a miracle. The gift of faith receives a miracle. They're very similar, except that one is active, the other is passive. It performs a miracle. Let, let me give you an example. Many, many years ago, 1992, I was in, in a town called Makoba in Zimbabwe. And there were like tens of thousands of people on the field. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, I prayed for people to receive Jesus. And then I said, okay, all those who want to be healed, just come. And the first person who came, there was a, it was a woman pushing a wheelbarrow. And I said, why is she pushing a wheelbarrow? And, and, and she came and parked the wheelbarrow right in front of me. The platform, our platform is about, about uh, two and a half, three meters high. So I'm there looking down this wheelbarrow, and what I see is there's a pile of rags in the wheelbarrow, and there's two dried up arms and two legs sticking out. And it was a man. I found out later it was her husband. And he was, I don't know what disease he had. He was all shriveled up and he was dying. He was completely paralyzed, skin and bones. And she had carried him on that wheelbarrow, pushed him. And so, so he was on that wheelbarrow. And then all of other people on crutches and people uh, on wheelchairs came. And soon the place in front was packed out with people. So I'm, now I begin to pray. And I begin to pray. And as I'm praying, the Lord tells me, there's a man in the crowd on crutches and I'm going to heal him. And my first thought was, you know, this is Africa. There's, there's dozens of people on crutches here. But I learned one thing, that no matter what God says, you obey God. So I just, I just put my right hand out. I was holding the microphone in my left hand. I just put my right hand out and faced in a certain direction. I don't know why I could have faced, pointed that way, but I pointed this way. And I said, there's a man there on crutches, and God is healing you right now. And suddenly this shout went up from the crowd, and I saw two crutches flying in the air. And there was a man... He, I remember he was wearing white clothes, so that's why I could see him, because there's tens of thousands of people, and this man took off running, and he began to run across the field, and as he ran, the crowd began to cheer. Now, what I didn't know is that just a few years prior to that, the German government had donated some of these high-powered BMW motorcycles to the Zimbabwean government. And what Zimbabwe had done, they had their first motorcycle policemen. Uh, and they had had a very you know, stringent selection process. They had about 15 or 20 motorcycles, and these were very coveted positions. And, and this boy was from that town, and the whole town was so proud of him that he was, he's, he's our local boy, you know, and he's one of those few who has been chosen to be a motorcycle policeman. So he became a motorcycle policeman, and one day he was in a high-speed high, high uh, uh, chase and and there's potholes on the road. He hit a pothole. His motorcycle went flying. He went crashing on a tree, and every single bone in his body was crushed. And he was in hospital for three years on traction. And then they released him and let him go and released him from the police force. And so he was a cripple. He used to move along slowly on crutches, and the whole town knew him, of course. And uh, he used to drink all day. I mean, just, you know, his life was in ruins. They said that he didn't have one bone that was bigger than one and a half inch. It was all crushed. And 
he was in the meeting, and I didn't know that, of course, you know. And he was wearing white clothes, and, and they said that the moment you pointed that way and said, there's a man on crutches, the power of God went over him. And the crutches went flying, and the man took off running, and everybody knew because they knew who he was because, you know, he had been in the newspapers. Now the whole crowd is shouting, and he's running all over the field, and as he's running, uh, suddenly the people in front of me, they began to stir, and people saw him. And uh, people began to throw their crutches in front of me. People began to get out of wheelchairs. I hadn't even begun to pray. And then the guy, the wheelbarrow, some of these people who got out of their, out of their wheelchairs, they, they gathered around the, the wheelbarrow and they started shouting and screaming at him. And they were telling him, get up, man, get up or you'll die, get up. And slowly this pile of bones began to stir. And the man, he stood up from that wheelbarrow and he began to walk. And what happened was that right on the other side of the field, there was a bunch of bars, and those drunks used to come and mock me every night. And about 500 of those drinkers came in front and knelt on the ground weeping, and they were crying, and they got saved. Revival broke loose in Makoba. Revival broke loose in Makoba. And from that, a church movement was born. There were three young pastors. They began traveled all around the country. They were on fire. They began to plant churches. They actually copied even our decision cards that we use in the crusades. And they copied everything and they, and they began to plant churches. And soon there were 160 churches. And then their main leader, he died. And then his widow came to me and said, Pastor, we want you to take over this ministry. I said, I can't take over the ministry. Uh, they said, no, Pastor, it started through your ministry. You have to take it over. I took it over. Now we have grown it from, uh, we are close to 500 churches now. And we are all over Zimbabwe. We are all over Mozambique. We are all over, we are in Botswana. We are in South Africa. We are all over Southern Africa. But I began to see that that was the purpose of God. At that time, I didn't understand. That time, it was just a word. There's a man there on crutches, and I put my hand out, and that guy got healed. But that one miracle unleashed a revival. God had a purpose. Are you with me? God had a purpose. And that is the gift of working of miracles. Amen. You speak forth a miracle. God has that miracle ready, and he just tells you to, you say this. And you say it, and boom, it happens. Yes. Amen? Hallelujah. You want to hear another story? So this is just to tell you how this thing works. Many years ago, 1989, I was working in North India. I was working in Orissa State where they were burning churches and all that. So I was in a town where the extremists had gone on a rampage. They had burnt over 20 churches and, and killed people. So I went and did a crusade. So on the third day, while I'm preaching, I fasted the second day. On the third day, while I'm preaching, you know, I had prepared a red-hot sermon. I said, tonight I'm going to throw the net out and people will be saved. 
And so halfway through my message, the Lord says to me, stop preaching, start praying for the sick. And I said, Lord, I've got a red hot sermon. And the Lord said, you stop preaching and begin to pray. And the Lord said, pray for the deaf. I prayed for the deaf, deaf pray for the blind. Then he said, pray for the crippled. People are getting healed. So I begin to pray for the lame and the crippled. And as I began to pray, uh, right in front of me, there was a little boy. He was 10 years old. He was born lame. He got up and walked. I remember people in front. I remember it vividly. It was like 29 years ago. And then suddenly in the back of the crowd, I began to hear people shouting and making a lot of noise. And I said, what's going on? What's happening? And... Uh, uh, and then, you know, but the noise, they couldn't hear me. Everyone was shouting. Then I saw, I saw after some time there was a man, he was walking through the crowd to the front with his hands in his air, and he was shouting something repeatedly. And as he came closer, I heard what he was shouting. He was shouting in Hindi. He was singing. He was shouting, Yesu Masiki Jai. That means Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. And he came Came and the crowd opened up to let him through. So he was shouting, Jesus is victorious. And then he, he came, as soon as he came to the front of the crowd, my interpreter saw him and he literally physically began to shake. I thought he dropped the microphone. And then the, the, the man jumped on the platform, took the microphone from the interpreter. And when the people saw him, the place came unglued. I mean, people began to climb on trees and people who were on the trees began to jump down. I mean, people went crazy. And this man began to shout, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And then he jumped down from the platform and he kind of started walking in this direction. And he was walking and the whole crowd ran after him. And he, I, last I saw, he had his hands in the air and he was shouting, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And they, they dis I watched them, the whole crowd, thousands of people disappeared between the, crowd, the trees and the whole field was empty. I couldn't even do my own to call. <laughs> Couldn't finish my message. So I, so when I, the main pastor, the senior pastor, he came running and he was white as a sheet. I said, what happened? Who was this man? They said, pastor, this man, we all know him. He was born crippled. He couldn't, he could only stand, you know, those big crutches they have under the armpits. He said he could only stand with those crutches. And he said that he was the leader of the extremists who were burning churches. And, and, and said so he came with three truckloads of people. And I saw some of them had hand grenades waiting to throw them into the crowd. And he said, and then suddenly, and he looked so angry, he was in the back. And he says, then you stopped and you began to pray for the sick. And then as you began to pray for the cripple, he said, I, just, I was just watching him. He says, when you began to pray for the lame and the paralyzed, he says, the power of God hit him. His crutches went flying through the air. And suddenly he was standing without his crutches for the first time in his life. And he looked at his feet. And then he took one step. He took another step. He took another step. By the fourth, fifth step, his hands flew up in the air. And he began to shout, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he came to the front. You know what happened? Revival broke loose after that. Seventy churches were planted like this. And then um, I left. I, that was my last crusade I did in India in the 80s. Twelve years later, I was preaching in a, in a Bible school in South India. And one night, and there was persecution in Western India at that time, and I was telling the students, telling them this story. And I was telling them, look, you should never fear what 
the enemy can do. You should never fear what these extremists can do. We have a mandate to preach the gospel, and that's one thing that we should do. I mean, the disciples of Jesus, it wasn't easy for them either. And I told them this story. And then the bell rang, and I stood outside the classroom getting some fresh air, and this young man comes walking to me, and he he, when he's, he comes to me and he throws himself around my neck and he just begins to sob, he begins to cry. I said, young man, what is it? And he was crying. He said, pastor, I didn't recognize you, but I was in that meeting. I was a 10-year-old kid sitting on my mother's lap right in the front. He said, I'll never forget what happened that day. He said, when you began to tell the story, I suddenly recognized you. It just came back to me. And he said that, I, I remember when that man came walking, and he said, at that moment, I heard the voice of God for the first time in my life. I got saved, and God called me to the ministry. I finished high school. I went through four years of college, and now I'm here preparing for the ministry. I'm going to be a church planter. But he says, I'm not the only one. There's 10 of us, little kids between 8 and 12 years old. He says, six boys and four girls, we are all here together. And we all heard the voice of God that day. And this is what he told me. And that's when I, you know, I began to cry because I realized that sometimes you pay the price. We do missions. You go to these far-off places and you wonder, you know, because you, you, you know, I often come back home. To, when I come back home uh, from, you know, to America, I come back to my home church. No one even asks me. They say, Brother Christopher, how was your latest trip? What did God do? Most people don't even ask me. And sometimes you wonder, but then you hear these stories and the Lord shows you that it's worth the price you pay. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, some years, some more years passed, and then one day I get an email. All of a sudden, out of the blue from that main pastor, I hadn't heard, him, heard from him in 25, 26 years, and he writes to me, he said, Brother Christopher, uh, I'm so glad to hear you're alive. You know, Indians can be very blunt. He said, I thought you were dead. And, you know, I mean, you, you normally don't say things like that. He said, oh, I thought you were dead, but I'm so happy to hear you're alive. And he says, I want you to know, he says, what you did that day, he says, that revival has continued. And as I write today, he says, that when you came there, the, the Christian population of Pulbani district, that area, was around 1% or 1.2%. And today, the Christians are more than 18% of the population. And that is the Indian government's official figures. And the church of God is still growing. You know, but God had a purpose. And sometimes it takes one miracle to unleash that purpose. And that's where the gift of working on miracles comes in. God gives you a word, you speak that word, and through that God unleashes something that becomes big, that grows. Are you with me? So when you get, my point is when you get something from God in your heart and God tells you to do something, to speak it out, never hesitate. Never hesitate. Never hold back. Because you don't want to kill that which God wants to do at that moment. Amen. The last one is the gift of faith. The gift of faith is passive. It receives a miracle. I can give you several examples. A few years ago in the town of George in Zambia, one night the Holy Ghost moved. Oh, 
When the gift of faith is in operation, I know how to describe it. You just know that the Holy Spirit is moving. And you just receive whatever God gives you. And I remember that night we had seven lame people get up and walk. Some on wheelchairs, someone pushed on wheelbarrows, some were carried there, seven. We had them all seven on the platform. But there was one astounding thing that happened in the crowd because, you know, the miracles were coming. It's like we did nothing. God was just there. And it was way beyond my faith. Because I know my faith has limitations. But it was way beyond my faith. And the greatest thing that happened that evening was there was a little, little boy boy or a girl, I think it was a little boy. He had one arm and the other arm, his left arm was a little flipper. And right in front of the crowd, that little flipper began to grow out and it grew out and became a complete arm with fingers and fingernails and God created a brand new arm in front of people. And then I prayed for the baptism. I gave the altar call. My goodness, everybody wanted to get saved. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost fell over that crowd. We had 5,000 people just flattened on the ground. Gift of faith. And after it was all over, I kind of blinked my eyes and was thinking, did that really happen? Another time I remember I was preaching in Poland in the Catholic Church. And um, I said, okay, I'm going to pray for the sick. But almost everybody stood up. So I said, okay, let's do, let's make a line. So the line went all around the building. And I said, okay, I'm going to stand here. I want you all to come one by one and I'll pray for you. And so as I was going, like an assembly line, you know, just pray for people. And so, and then there was a lady, she was wheeled on a wheelchair. And I looked at her, I said, what do you want? Because don't take for granted that people, just because, you know, they want to be, sometimes people say, can you just pray for me that God's, God gives me strength to bear my suffering? And I'll pray for that because that's what they ask for. So I asked the lady, she said, I want to be healed. And I asked her a question. I normally don't ask people, but I just felt prompted in my spirit. I said, now, uh, do you uh, believe you'll be instantly healed or do you believe you'll be healed progressively? What do you believe? She said, I believe both. Now, when she said that, I knew she wasn't believing for anything, <laughs> you know, because you believe either one or the other. So I, when, when that happens, I tell people to, okay, fine, just wheel her away, you know. And, and then the Lord told me, stop, stop. And I looked at her eyes, and I felt there was something there. I cannot define what it was because she didn't have the faith. I didn't have the faith for her. And so I remember I stood in front of her, and uh, I prayed for her. And I said to her, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And she did her best because now she had been completely paralyzed. Her legs have been dead for 11 years. She didn't even feel anything if you pinched her legs. She didn't even have shoes. I mean, they were completely dead. So I said, get up. And she, her arms were quite strong. So she tried, she made a bit of an effort. She made quite an effort to stand up, but she fell back on the chair. I said, but the Lord told me, don't let go. I'm going, I'm going to do something here. And I didn't have faith for it. And so 
Then I said to the priest and my interpreter, I said, please hold up this lady. Hold her up. Pick her up out of the chair. So they picked her up and they held her under the arms. Her legs were hanging. And I said, somebody take this wheelchair and put it in a place where I cannot see it. So they took the wheelchair to the next room. And so now, I'm, and I'm facing her, and she got a whole line in front behind her. And she was a short lady. And then I said, okay, I'm going to pray for her now. And when I look over her head, suddenly I don't see anything. The people are all gone. I don't see all the people. But I see the face of Jesus. I see the wonderful face of Jesus standing right behind her. I couldn't see the people. And I, I remember looking, I looked at his eyes, so full of love. And he was smiling at me. And I heard a voice that said, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The moment I heard that, it was like a supernatural faith came down and filled my heart. And at that moment, I thought, there's no ways this woman is not going to be healed. If Jesus is alive, this woman is going to get up and walk. It is impossible for her not to be healed. And I stood there and I began to quote scripture to her. I started with uh, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Then I went to Isaiah 53. I went to 1 Peter 22, 24. I was quoting scripture after scripture after scripture. I don't know, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. I just quoted scripture. I was quoting scriptures I didn't know that I knew, you know. I was just, I was just quoting scripture that I knew. I knew it's in the Bible somewhere. I read it, but I was quoting scripture after scripture after scripture for a long, 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 long time, and then suddenly I saw her legs begin to tremble. So her legs began to shake, and I just kept on quoting scripture, and then I told the priest to let go of her. I told the interpreter to let go of her, and she stood for the first time in 11 years. I said, put your hands on my shoulder, and I was quoting scripture, and, and I began to walk, and she began to walk, walk with me, and I worked with her for a long time until finally we had her running around the place. And when she began to run around, she was healed. That spirit of faith, that gift of faith, lifted from me and was gone. And the moment it lifted from me, I had a hard time believing that this miracle had actually happened. Because I didn't have faith for it, the woman didn't have faith for it, but God did a miracle there. That's the gift of faith. It's a divine faith that comes and, and takes over and possesses you. And God does a great miracle. And then that, that gift of faith just, because that's why it's a gift of faith. It's faith that is a gift. And is given for that moment to accomplish a certain purpose. And once the miracle is accomplish it, it is lifted off. Now, how can you flow in these things? There's one thing you can do. First of all, meditate on the scripture. If you want to flow in the gifts, you want to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. And secondly, pray a lot in other tongues. In your spare time, when you're driving your car, make it a habit to pray in tongues. 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow in your life when you spend a lot of time meditating in the scripture and praying in other tongues. If you do these two things, that'll stir the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that's when God will begin to speak to you. He'll tell you do this and he'll tell you do that. And then you obey and then the gifts come into operation. But if you don't meditate on the scripture, if you don't speak in tongues, forget it. The gifts of the Spirit are not a result of wishful thinking that you wish they were there. They come because you give yourself. That's why if they are really, really important to us, some people say, oh, yeah, I, don't, I don't have time to pray. Listen, if you don't time to pray, have time to pray, forget about being used by God. You have to give a priority to certain things. Amen? So you have to give priority to you know, move some of the things that you do that may not be sinful things necessarily, but things you spend your time on. Give them a lower list in your priorities and lift speaking in tongues and prayer and the word uh, higher up on your list of priorities. Then you'll see the gifts of the Spirit flow in your life. Okay? Now, the last example I, of, the, of the gift of faith, and that is when, uh, you, you, know, you know what, let me, let me just tell you this. I mean, I'm the kind of guy, when I pray, you know, pray for the sick in Africa, uh, uh, we, we see great miracles, but one of the things is that I don't want to see the people uh, with great needs in front of me, because when, you know, when they have the crippled people, the blind people in front of me, when I see them, just seeing those things affects my faith because I know my limitation. And the less contact I have with them, the less I see them, the greater the chances that they get healed because there's less of me in the way. I kind of get in the way of God doing stuff. Or I should say my, the limitations of my faith. Now, uh, they, my, you know, when you talk about my faith or your faith, the good thing is that I have more faith today than I did 20 years ago. But it's not where it'll be 10 years from now. Faith is always a growth. You never have perfect faith. And there will come a day when I will have perfect faith, but then I won't need it anymore. That's when I'll stand before Jesus. That's when I'll be perfect. My faith will be perfect, you know. But doing this life, I will strive for that perfection, you know. But It'll come one day, but I know it'll come when I stand before Jesus. But I will always be at a place when I'll need Jesus. I will always need the gifts of the Spirit. Right? So, the thing is that the gift of faith is, is, is it's a divine faith that comes and, and takes over. And then when the purpose is fulfilled, it's gone. And then you, you begin to wonder, what was that? Where did that come from and why did it leave? Why didn't it just stay with me? God gives it for a purpose. Now, the last example I'll give you, years ago, um, I used to go every year and visit Catholic churches in Poland. We, you know, they, they liked me. The Catholics liked me. You know, I like it when people like me, you know. Uh, so they used to like me. So I, I used to take my Bible school students. I, I remember I had 27 students on that trip. And I was in this uh, uh, big Roman Catholic cathedral in a town called Piwa in the north of Poland. And we had like 12,000 people, 8,000 inside, 4,000 outside. The place was packed up. And uh, I began to preach, just preach a simple gospel message. And I'm praying and I'm going to, I'm beginning, I'm preached. Did the altar call, begin to pray. And then suddenly I hear 
because, they, you know, they always have a big altar table, a table which is their altar, and they have candles and stuff on top of it. And the altar table is a fixture. It's a concrete uh, thing. It's actually part of the floor. It wasn't a table that can be moved around. And my team was sitting behind the table. There were hundreds of people behind the table, and the place was so packed out. People were standing in the aisles, and I had some space about, like, two meters by five meters or three meters, you know, that was my space to preach on. And so uh, I'm suddenly, I hear people begin to scream and cry behind me. And I, I turn around and, 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 and my, my team from Sweden, they're, they're, they're pointing in at something. And I look and I see the top of a little blonde head. I could just see the top of the head across the altar table walking. So, and they were all pointing and people were screaming and weeping behind the table. So I walked around and, uh, and I saw it was this little girl, she was walking. But I could see from the way she was walking that she had never walked before. You could see the way she was, you know, she had never walked before. Now, what I found out later was that this girl uh, was, uh, she, she was the daughter of one of the church members. And she was born, I mean, she was born with a brain damage. She was brain damaged, and she could barely see anything. And uh, her jaw was askew like this. The tongue was sticking out. She was drooling from the mouth all the time. And her fingers were curled like this. Her hands were like this. And, and every bone in her were crooked. She was in a, in a fetal position like this, you know. And her, her, her knees were drawn up to her chin. Her heels were by her buttocks. And she was like this. And the parents used to carry her around like a bundle. And when they would wash her, they would... Uh, take her clothes out. They would stretch her arms and legs out and dress her. Then the limbs would snap back into that position. And she was about nine years old. And they used to come to the church carrying that little bundle, you know, this little child, brain damage. And they would put that, uh, uh, you know, they would come. And so they brought her to that service. So when when I was praying, the power of God suddenly came, and this woman, she, she you know, my, that's what my team said. They said, Pastor, we don't understand. The mother just put the child on the floor. She was carrying her. She just put the child on the floor. And when the child was on the floor, suddenly we heard the sound of bones cracking. And we saw the fingers straighten out, the tongue snapped back, the eyes that were cross-eyed straightened out, the legs straightened out, and slowly the child got up and began to walk. And that's when the crowd began to scream. We were, I mean, we had never seen anything like it. Now, that's what I found out afterwards. But what I, when I walked with that girl, she held my hand, and we walked around the table. And the moment we came around the front of the table, I, I kind of realized the immensity of what had happened. I, 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 it dawned on me that God had some, done something great here, and the presence of God was so strong. And I, this is how I felt. I felt like I was not even worthy to be there. I was not worthy to stand on that platform. And, and, and I remember reading somewhere that no man can see God and live. And I, at that moment, I really believed I'm going to die because I've seen the glory of the Lord. So I remember, and they, they have it on video, I just spoke into the microphone. I said, this is not my ministry. This is the ministry of Jesus. And I crawled under the altar table. 
and I sat under the altar table because they had the tablecloth coming down. And I remember I cried and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you're going to take me home, do it right now. And I remember I prayed for my wife, I prayed for my children that the Lord would take care of me. And I re at that moment, I really, really believed I'd seen the presence of God and I'm going to die. And then I heard a voice. The Lord said, you have not seen anything as yet. Just go and stand before the people. And I remember I, <laughs> I, remember I came out. When I came out, I mean, I just sat on the floor. I didn't know what to do. I, I just felt like, what, what can I do? And I'm watching. And suddenly I saw parents bring six small boys between, I don't know, between, maybe between the ages and 10 and 12 or something like that. I don't remember this. I'm talking about things that happened in the 80s. They brought six, uh, I think, yeah, I think it was six. I, six, I don't remember the exact figure. Paralyzed boys and put them on the platform in the spot where I had been standing and all of them got up and walked. Each, nobody prayed for them, nobody touched them. I just remember the parents putting them at the place where I was standing and each one of them began to walk. And they just, they put them and they just got up and began to walk. And I just sat there and I didn't know what to do. And uh, suddenly, you know, the Lord told me to stand up. I stood up and people began to run to the front. And, uh, and I was getting crushed against that altar table. And the Lord told me, take your jacket off and throw it into the crowd. My anointing is in the jacket. So I threw my anoint the jacket. I told the people, just touch the jacket, pass it around, and anyone who touches it will be healed. And I saw them. And then, of course, we laid hands on people. The meeting went on until one in the morning, and then we went back. I used to do one service every year in that cathedral, once every year in July. So I was back the next year, and when I came, the priest, he was very kind, as always, and he was an old man, and he took me aside. He said, Brother Christopher, I want you to know what happened. He said, after you left last year, he said, for three months straight, for 90 days, every single day, I had a line outside my parsonage, people with crutches and wheelchairs and hearing aids and glasses and back braces and neck braces and artificial limbs, people turning these things in. He says, I've got a room full of these things because Jesus was healing people and it took three months and then it stopped. We serve a God who can do anything. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the church. And the Bible says that God gives the, gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to everybody who wants them. And the Bible tells us to earnestly covet and desire the best gifts. And what are the best gifts? The best gifts are the gifts that enable you to serve the people in your world the best, in the most effective manner. Are you with me? God doesn't want you helpless when you're out there ministering to people. But God wants to give you whatever you need, whatever tools you need to get the job done, 
to fulfill the great commission to preach the gospel. As you obey the word of the Lord and fulfill what the Bible says, pray for the sick. Jesus sent them out. He says, heal the sick, cast out devils, clean, cleanse the lepers. Freely you have received, freely give. God has given to us so freely, so generously. Sometimes people have this mindset like God is stingy. You know, God is not stingy. God has given to us generously. Freely you have received. Freely give. And these gifts are for you. God wants to work the gifts of the Holy Spirit through your life, through my life. Amen? But the wonderful thing about the gift of faith is that the gift of faith, actually, it uh, receives miracles. It adds faith where your own faith is lacking. Isn't God, Jesus, wonderful? He knows our faith. He knows, you know, here's this big miracle that is needed, and you are the guy who's out there on the line, and your faith isn't enough. So what, what he does, he adds that faith to your package of faith, whatever is needed to perform that miracle. Amen. And when it is done, he lifts that gift of faith. It comes from him, it goes back to him. The gift of working on miracles, he can tell you to do something. Sometimes God tells you, do this. Amen. Amen. He tells you to do this. And then you do it. Like when I was in Burma the first time and there was a, <laughs> a guy died in the meeting. There were doctors in the meeting. They said, he's dead. What do I do? I just spoke in tongues. I just shouted and spoke in tongues and praised God until the guy got up. Amen. I did that. I didn't know what to do. Now I can't write a manual on how to raise the dead. But I know I just did what God told me to do. God just told me, just speak in tongues and praise Him and praise me until it rises up. So I spoke in tongues and shouted and rose up in front of all those people. He just rose up. Another time I did a crusade in Poland and I was coming out of the crusade and all the people were leaving and I saw a crowd gathered on the road and I came there and, uh, and, and there was this guy, he was covered with blood, he had been hit by a car, he was laying there lifeless and people were trying to help him, he was just lifeless. I said to everybody, just move aside. I don't know what it was, but something came over me. I just stepped aside, I laid my hands on him, I said, I cover you with the blood of Jesus. The moment I said that, the guy jumped to his feet and took off running. <laughs> we serve a mighty God. Amen. Hallelujah. We serve a great, we don't serve a Mickey Mouse God. We serve a great and mighty God with whom all things are possible if you believe. Amen. You've got to be bold, brother. You've got to lock inside you, but you know, you're kind of timid. You're a big guy, but you, you, you know, I don't know what it is, but you've got to be bold. You've got to get out there and open that mouth of yours and be bold to speak the word and use these hands that God has given you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But God gives you everything, but there's something you've got to put into it. 
Amen? And you put faith and you put your boldness in it. And, and you know, you, you, you do that because God has a purpose for your life and he really, really wants to use you. But the only thing that is holding you back, your heart is right and you are okay. It's just your timidity. I don't know why. But you got to rise up and speak the word in faith with boldness because you're not going to do it. He's going to do it. But he, he uses your boldness. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Well, heads about it, I just want to make sure if there's anybody in this place and you say, Brother Christopher, I don't know. If I was to die, I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or to hell, but I need to get right with God. I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's the condition of your soul, you need to get right with God. This is your opportunity. More than anything else, I want to pray with you. So if there's anybody here, you need to get right with God. Just let me see your hand so I know who you are. Because I want to pray with you. God bless you, young man. Is there anybody else? You need to get right with God. Want to need to make things right with God. Just be bold. It takes a lot of guts. It takes courage, but... I don't want you to lay in your bed tonight with your heart full of regret. But take this opportunity. If there's anybody else you need to get right with God? Come here, brother. Come. Come join me. Come here. Anybody else? Come here. Come here. God bless you. Anybody else wants to join this young man right here? Brother, can you come? Pray with him. I want to make sure. Anybody else need to get right with God? This is your opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we honor you. We glorify you. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore our sins on the cross at Calvary. You bore our sins and carried our diseases. We honor you. We bless you. We praise your holy name. We bless you, Father. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at ramon.org.au.